Welcome to this month's edition of Into Beef. It only seems appropriate in the summer months of everything red, white, and beef to go inside the Beltway straight to Washington, D.C. for this podcast, where it's a pleasure to have with us Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Washington, D.C. offices. Welcome, Ethan. Kelly, it's great to be with you. So for our May Beef Month podcast, we discussed everything on the checkoff side with Indiana cattle producer and past beef board chair, Norm Boyles. Ethan, if you would, please give us an overview uh, from the other side of things, of NCBA's role and specifically what you and your great staff do there in D.C. and how that's funded. Well, the, the, the government affairs and policy division of NCBA is exactly what you would think of as a traditional trade association funded by member dues into the, uh, the, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, as well as state affiliates that pay into the National Cattlemen's Association on behalf of their members around the country. So 46 state affiliate organizations in 44 states uh, across the country. Um, every, every state that's, that's producing beef in any kind of measurable quantity, right? I mean, the outliers there are Alaska and, you know, New Hampshire and places like that. But um, each one of those states has its own board of directors. Each one of those states has its own policy processes, um, as well as our overarching policy process at NCBA, which we're in the middle of right now, leading into our summer business meeting next week. This is sort of the grassroots policy uh, process in action, right? As we as we talk this morning, my email is still going with uh, state affiliates submitting uh, proposed resolutions and proposed amendments to policy in our 150-page policy book. Those, those items will be debated and discussed in seven policy committees by every member of uh, uh, this, uh, uh, the, the body there in, at the summer business meeting from uh, representing all those different states. Um, those policies will then be voted on by the board of directors, and then they'll be sent out to every single member of NCBA uh, for an up or down vote in the coming month. That is how we ensure that everyone that's associated with NCBA has a voice in that policy process. And that becomes uh, the guidelines for my team to engage in Washington, D.C. So we don't make up what we talk about in Washington. We don't, uh, we don't engage based on, you know, this person calling us or this company calling us or, uh, or whatever else. We, we engage based on what our member pass policy says is important to cattle producers around the country uh, that have participated in that process. And so we use that as our as our guideline to engage with the USDA, with the Department of Interior, with EPA, with the White House, with both houses of Congress, with Republicans, with Democrats. Um, so it's a, a it's a three ring circus most days in Washington. But uh, but that's really kind of what what we do is take that that raw data, that raw, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, policy from from producers around the country turn it into a centralized message and make sure that the lawmakers in Washington don't get to ignore it. Great. And you, you mentioned the importance of affiliates and membership dollars. And I think sometimes people say, well, I'm a member of Indiana Beef Cattle Association. I'm a member of NCBA. Uh, what do my membership dollars do for me as an affiliate uh, state, which Indiana is? It really enables us to have that voice. And you're that voice for us uh, on the ground in D.C., we have staff here that's the voice for us in Indianapolis. Let's talk about some of the most recent successes that NCBA has played a critical role in on the legislative front that have supported America's beef producers. What are a couple of those highlights, Ethan? 
Well, you know, at any given time, we're monitoring, you know, the larger conversation happening in Washington, making sure that we don't see bad policy creep into those bills. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about big spending packages and must pass pieces of legislation. You know, we watch these things on on the news and we kind of look at them in an abstract way. But any of those must pass pieces of legislation provides opportunity for uh, people who wish the industry ill or, or, you know, animal rights activists or whoever else uh, to insert uh, language in those bills that, that, that could harm the industry, that could derail the industry. Um, that's just kind of the nature of how Washington works right now. So in this kind of an environment with a White House that's, that's not, not necessarily all that friendly to production agriculture, um, you know, we're always kind of looking out for those poison pills and those problems. Um, so in, in this kind of year, we judge success a lot of times by what didn't get across the finish line, right? Those things that we kept out of pieces of legislation. We're right in the middle of that process now, um, working through the appropriations process for, uh, for this next fiscal year uh, for the federal government. You know, we, we always talk about shutdowns uh, that are looming if they can't agree on spending in Washington. Well, that's, that's where we are in this process now. They're, they're marking up uh, amendments for the agriculture appropriations process right now. That's obviously very specifically targeted uh, to cattle producers. Um, you know, those pieces of legislation are where we can insert language and, and have over the last couple of days uh, that, that talks about the need to, uh, to defund uh, any research funding for cell cultured and fake meat, right? To make sure the government isn't financing that kind of thing. Uh, to make sure that there's language in there um, that prohibits EPA from uh, measuring and reporting greenhouse gas emissions from livestock operations. When we know that uh, you, can't, you can't measure uh, emissions in a, in a quality way in an open air environment like that. Uh, you know, looking for those opportunities to make sure that we prevent uh, impl implementation of electronic logging devices for livestock haulers. We've kept those out of, um, out of the, the, uh, the, the sphere of operation for, for some years now by putting language into these appropriations bills that prohibits them from going into use. Um, and we do the same thing with different species around the country that are under threat from the Endangered Species Act. Um, we do that to make sure that rulemakings like we're seeing from the Bureau of Land Management right now on, uh, on their new conservation rule, uh, which mm -hmm. would really damage grazing for our producers in the West, or the new Packers and Stockyards rules at USDA uh, that would limit our producers' ability to leverage uh, uh, formulas and grids to, to harness premiums on the cattle that they're marketing. We use these processes to try to make sure that we're getting what we need out of the federal government per our member path policy that, that tells us how to engage in that stuff. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. And then as that's happening, we're also constantly engaging with the federal agencies on the rulemakings that they're putting out based on those laws that Congress is passing. Right. So we're dealing with them on uh, their their efforts to reform product of the USA labeling to make sure that we don't have unverified labels being slapped on packages at the end of the supply chain that, that aren't representative of maybe what's in the package or, or what we're selling and most certainly aren't delivering premiums back to our producers, which is really our biggest problem with those labels. So we're engaged aggressively in that conversation. We're working with them on traceability. We now have a, a, a rule that would implement out of USDA proposed right now, a rule that would implement mandatory uh, EID for uh, breeding stock that's moving interstate about 11% of the herd. That's kind of a uh, the, the, the starting point there on animal disease traceability, engaging with USDA to make sure that that's implemented properly, as well as engaging with the Hill to make sure there's money available to pay for tags so that our producers aren't bearing the cost of compliance, getting up to speed with that new rulemaking. Um, so we're, we're sort of constantly looking for those opportunities. And then when none of that works, we end up in court. And that's where we are on things like the waters of the United States, right? 
This is a yeah. battle that's been going on for so long that I didn't have gray hair when I first started working on it. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's one of those issues that I is always evolving and changing. And instead of, you know, explain WOTUS, it ends up being what's the latest with WOTUS? Because no cattle producer in the country that's paying any kind of attention doesn't know what WOTUS is at this point, right? But the Supreme Court really did weigh in in a major and substantial way earlier this year um, on, on a previous version of the rule when they said that the federal government can't go as far as they have proposed in exerting federal authority over your operation where there are disconnected wetlands or, or you know, prairie potholes or whatever else uh, on those environments. Um, that takes that into a whole new phase where, you know, maybe we can finally get some clarity on that rule that's workable for cattle producers. So um, there's kind of these multiple spots on, the, on the, the, the trip, right? There's Congress passing laws, there's the agencies implementing regulations based on those laws, and then there's the court system where we're arguing in court over the implementation of those laws. And all of those things are happening at once uh, with my team in Washington. And, and we, we appreciate that. I think, you know, sitting here in Indiana, um, we don't have the prairie chicken or um, federal grazing lands at the top of our mind. But right. I, I think um, one of the producers from, I believe, out there in Wyoming said it best uh, last fall when I heard him talk. He said sometimes what happens out here eventually somehow morphs its way and affects producers all across the country. So um, some of those things and and those policies you work on, we think may not be important to us, but in essence they are because they're part of a much bigger picture. Well, they're critically important. And, you know, I always talk about the fact that, that, you know, the West is a, is a laboratory for bad federal policy. And, and that's true. In Indiana, you don't have prairie chickens, thankfully. You don't have the dunes, sagebrush, lizard. I don't think you have wolves um, in any, nope. any substantive way. But, but you do have monarch butterflies, right? And, mm-hmm. you, do have, yep. and you do have black vultures. Um, and, and you do have species that are, are in that sphere of federal management that, that seriously impact producers. And as we see these laws misused, whether it's the Endangered Species Act or the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, um, you know, those are those are hyper relevant conversations to Indiana producers, um, just not in the same way every day that they are for somebody that has to ask Mother May I of the federal government to turn to turn cattle out or open a gate. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that uh, you know, if it's if it's not affecting you today in Indiana, it's going to be soon. Ethan, obviously, um, you, you've touched on a bunch of things. Um, we know that there's no rest for the weary, especially uh, with everything you and your staff are handling there in D.C. I, I want to touch on, and you talked about some of the important topics or policies coming down the pike that require our attention. I specifically um, would like to talk about one thing that I think maybe some of our producers, at least here in Indiana, are not fully aware of, and that's the OFF Act or the Fairness and Farming Act and, and where that stands and why producers need to pay attention to that. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great one to talk about. The Opportunity for Fairness and Farming Act, which is maybe the, the most poorly named piece of legislation in this, in this congressional session. Um, this is a bill that is championed by Cory Booker, the vegan senator from New Jersey, um, and, and really touted by the radical animal rights community. We are talking about the hardcore anti-animal rights people or anti-animal agriculture people. These are people who don't believe that you should own pets, right? These are people who um, uh, chain themselves to the to the fronts of stores and and, and are really activists. Um, the the Humane Society for the United States, ASPCA, PETA, um, uh, Farm Action, which is a group funded by HSUS, 
the Organization for Competitive Markets, another organization funded by HSUS. Um, you know, these are the kind of groups that are supporting this legislation. Um, and what it does is essentially force uh, changes to all of these various checkoff programs, you know, not just the beef checkoff, but I think there's 26 uh, commodity checkoff programs that, that operate uh, throughout agriculture, anything from blueberries uh, to soybeans to Christmas trees, uh, you name it. The common thread of all of those is, uh, is that the producers in those various commodities uh, asked for and voted on and passed referendums to, to create those checkoffs. These aren't things that were imposed by the federal government. They're not a tax um, as producers who are listening to this podcast know, um, those are those are things that are driven by the industry and supported by the industry. Um, these folks want to get rid of them because they are the only avenue we have to promote our product. If you think about all of the different ways that beef is sold, right? It's sold by grocery stores that are offering mailers. It's sold by companies that have menu items they would like to sell. Um, it's marketed to customers by the packers. Um, there are all these different ways that beef moves to market, but all of those other participants in those marketplaces have other things they are selling too, right? Most likely, um, if you even look at the packers, right, they're not all beef packers, they're protein packers. They're selling chicken, they're selling pork, they're selling fake meat. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of different things on their menu. Beef is one of them. These commodity checkoffs are the only opportunity that, that the industry has to ensure that they are marketing their product alone. And, and reaching consumers with those important messages. That is why the highest priority of the animal rights community is to eliminate the industry's ability to self-promote. Because once they do that, if the industry can't promote and defend itself by having the, 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 the checkoff that's there promoting the product and conducting research and the policy division that's there defending the industry right on the government affairs side, if those things aren't happening, then you're really left to kind of the, 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 the whims of the media. You're left to the whims of corporate America. And we know that corporate America right now is kind of caught up in the grip of ESG, right? And, and, and these uh, environmental and social governance uh, 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 efforts uh, that, that have really, in some instances, kind of spun out of control. The animal rights community would much let, rather battle us on that front than, than a straight up or down uh, public opinion I, I, right amongst the average consumer that goes into a McDonald's or, or into a, a restaurant around the country. Um, so, so they've really prioritized attacking these, these checkoff programs. The bill itself doesn't do uh, a lot of the things that it would claim that it does, mainly because those things are already requirements. Um, it kind of grandstands on the idea that uh, we should make these checkoffs, you know, perform regular audits. Well, gosh, we already do that. Um, and you shouldn't allow these checkoffs to disparage other commodities. Well, that's already the law as well, right? And, and so you go down the list and it's like, well, all of these things that you're alleging by putting them in the bill that aren't happening with the checkoff simply aren't true. These things are already occurring on a regular basis. Those reports are publicly available. You can go to the, the Cattle and Beef Board website and, and look at those audits and those financials. Um, that is information that's accessible to everybody out there. Um, so the only thing that's left that's very concerning is that it says that nobody can serve on one of these uh, uh, checkoff uh, uh, boards like the Cattlemen's Beef Board that has a conflict of interest, meaning they have uh, engagement in the marketplace. Well, so that would basically mean that, that cattle producers would be conflicted off of serving on the Cattlemen's Beef Board. The whole point of the Cattlemen's Beef Board is that it is populated by cattle producers that are directing where that money goes. Um, it also says that no organization could apply for checkoff dollars uh, that also employs or contracts with federal lobbyists. Well, that would really be concerning to eight of the nine contractors to the beef checkoff right now, right? And the same goes for a lot of these other checkoffs. 
Um, you know, we know that inside NCBA, as one of the checkoff contractors, we have extensive firewalls in place. We those those funds, those producer funds, the member dollars are are siloed very aggressively from checkoff contracts that are operated on a cost recovery basis for those contractors. Right, NCBA is laying out cash, conducting that work, and then going to the Cattlemen's Beef Board to to recover those funds those costs after the contract is completed, but those funds are completely separate and firewalled from those member dollars that are driving the traditional policy uh, aspect of, of, of NCBA. And that's true for other contractors as well. That's what they're really seeking to destroy is the industry's ability to promote and defend itself. And, and so we're trying to educate as much as we can about this because it's one of those concepts that if you're not around commodity checkoffs all the time, um, you know, can be can be misinformed really easily. And, and that's what we're seeing uh, with some of these efforts. Uh, we've we've, I think, reached a lot of members of Congress and senators that didn't quite understand this before. Um, but the last time this bill came up in the last farm bill, there were 36 or 38 members of the Senate that voted in favor of the OFAC. So we want to take it really seriously. and We want to make sure our elected members of Congress understand what's at stake here and understand that if they want to support producers, they need to make sure they're supporting these commodity checkoff programs. Certainly appreciate you taking that apart bit by bit because we hear fairness in farming. We think, oh, it's a great thing. Um, and, and names can sometimes be deceiving and there's a lot more to it. And I think you talked about, Ethan, you know, reaching out to legislators and educating them. And I know we've had the opportunity to send some of um, our producer leadership and some of our producer youth members to D.C. to work with legislators. We know that 2024 is an important year for elections, both nationally. Um, here in Indiana, we're looking at electing a new governor as well as um, some senators and representatives. In closing, what role can cattle producers play here? Just, you know, we're limited on time, but but if we have that opportunity to talk with someone at the local, state, or national level to ensure that we continue to have a voice in policy and making sure industries represented. One of the best talks about this I've ever heard was a, a guy that was talking about the difference between working in your business and working on your business. And the fact that both of those things are critically important for, for success in any industry, but in particular in the cattle industry. I think that, it, that, that, that the fact that we're all pressed for time means you do make choices that, that, that kind of um, limit your engagement in some of this stuff, right? It's hard to put everything down and get to a Cattlemen's Association meeting. It's hard to join a board call at seven o'clock at night after you've been working all day. It's hard to make yourself informed on these issues uh, in, a, in a real way rather than just, you know, whatever you're hearing at the coffee shop um, from the, the, the loudest guy in the room, right? On, uh, every morning when you're, when you're there. We know that happens around the country. Um, but, but it's essential that, that you take on that responsibility and, and learn the realities of, of these issues that we're discussing because it, it's, it's just gotten so complicated that you can't rely on what you're seeing on Facebook. In fact, you should never rely on what you see on Facebook. <laughs> you, you should really make sure that you're, that you're learning the realities of these, of these conversations that we're in. It doesn't mean, and, and I don't mean by that, have the same opinion as your neighbor and have everybody have the same opinion. But, but know enough to be informed before you make your decisions and, and, and use that information to educate. Members of Congress want to know what their constituents think. My only, my only superpower in Washington is who I'm speaking for. Beyond that, I, I, don't have any, I don't have any stroke in this town, right? 
nobody cares what Ethan Lane individual has to say. The only reason anybody cares what I have to say is because I'm speaking ostensibly for all of these producers across the country that we're working with on a regular basis. Your voices have massive power and, and, and impact on these conversations, but only if you are informed. So engaging with your state associations, engaging with your county associations, speaking up when you know the realities of a situation and the conversation is going in a direction that, that you know isn't, isn't accurate. Correcting the record, making sure that your voice is there, showing up when there's policy discussions being, being had and, and taking that active role. I know that it's hard, but, but it's, it's, it's not a multiple choice deal. It's, it's, it's critical to, to your business. It's critical to where we're going as an industry. Uh, there's a lot of really bad people out there that want to derail uh, what we're doing. And, and the reason they want to do that is, is, is not because we're fading, right, as an industry. It's because beef is so popular. The demand for our product, both here and around the world, is, is massive. People can't get enough of U.S. beef. They can't get enough of the way it tastes. When I go on trade trips overseas, what we hear from steakhouses around the world is, yeah, we, we really focus on our local product, but the thing we sell out of every night that it's on the menu <laughs> is U.S. product because That's it doesn't like taste like anything else in the world. And, and so we, we, have a, we have a real opportunity in front of us, but man, it's important to know the facts and it's important to show up. You can't rely on your neighbor to do it. Absolutely. And, and good things that we like to hear, knowing that not only our product is enjoyed here domestically, but also worldwide. Um, I think, Ethan, I've, you know, I've talked multiple times. I, we could sit when it comes down to policy and the importance and, and talk all day about things. That's how many issues and yep. uh, opportunities and challenges are facing the industry. We've just captured a snapshot here. Um, but I think it, it's important to reiterate that as cattle producers, we have people on the ground working for us. And we certainly appreciate you taking the time to join us today, as well as the time and talent you and your staff give to representing America's cattle producers. We do thank you for that. Well, we appreciate your work and support and, and appreciate you having me on the show today. I do want to remind everyone, you know, we talked about um, different issues and staying informed. And one of the best ways you can stay informed, and you know this if you are a member of IBCA and NCBA, um, both, both organizations regularly provide print information as well as weekly emails. If there's an uh, issue that comes up, I, I know multiple times from NCBA, you can get a text message. Um, we do the same from Indiana Beef Cattle Association too. So your membership dollars are extended to the point where it allows you to have a voice and advocate for your industry. So we encourage you, if you're not a member, to please consider being a member so we can continue to keep beef strong, both not here domestically, but internationally as well. Thank you for joining us today. And until next time, remember, eat beef.